Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce cost and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com strange. netsuite.com strange. netsuite.com strange. I'm Laura Norton, and this is One Strange Thing, the show where we search the nation's news archives for stories that can't quite be explained. This episode, we have a few stories for you, ones that tie together in one way or another, and we think that, by the end, you might have difficulty deciding who had a worse time. Is it us, humanity in 2021 with the modern conveniences that allow us to watch our surroundings 24-7? Or is it our past selves, decades ago, who either had to wonder what was watching at the window or found out only when what was watching came too close for comfort? We all want to feel safe in our homes, whatever that means for each of us. There are still far-flung towns where folks insist they don't have to lock their doors at night. And if you're rural enough, maybe up on a mountain or down a very long country road, that might be true. But most of us, we take precautions. A latch on a screen porch, a deadbolt, something to shore up those sliding glass doors, alarm systems, triple-thick security doors. Even those doorbells with the cameras installed that can pick up every movement and record it. They come with their own little app where users can share information about packages stolen or coyotes that may or may not have been sighted or the midday gunfire that was definitely your neighbor popping some bubble wrap. And then there are the sightings of strangers. Oh, the strangers. The more sedate the neighborhood, the more active. Suspicious persons, usually delivering packages or dropping off restaurant menus, are endlessly discussed. And when there is an actual crime, everyone is asked to check their footage on their doorbell and their security cameras. But the interesting thing is this. Sometimes it's that protection itself that gives us new things to be afraid of. After all, there are events that we never would have known about or would never have occurred at all 
if we didn't have all the cameras just waiting to alert us. Sure, there are the outwardly terrifying events, like the reports of a person in a clown costume attempting to break into a house, but this isn't that kind of show. We'll leave that to, well, anyone but us. That lacks the subtlety that we prefer. If a children's entertainer with murderous intent had started smashing windows, residents probably would have realized post-haste. No, we're talking about the situations more like this. You wake up in the morning, roll over, and see that alert pop up on your phone. Motion detected, 2 a.m. Someone is at the door, 2.01 a.m. It's almost always nothing. Some slow-passing car or an animal that manages to get in range. But every so often, for an unlucky person, they open up their app and they see an uninvited visitor. You might have seen the news reports a few months back of a very unfortunate family in California. One who woke up to find out that late in the night, a man had licked their doorbell for three hours. As you might imagine, that footage went viral. What you might not know is that it wasn't the first incident of its kind. In fact, WFSB reported that, like all things, doorbell licking seems to have originated in Florida, where there were at least two separate reported events. One of those preceded the California incident, which certainly continues to hold the record for the most committed doorbell licking ever caught on tape. But there have been several men who have, for one reason or another, felt the need to apply their tongues to other people's door frames. Maybe they just want to get their 15 minutes of fame on next door. Maybe they're launching YouTube channels. But in all three cases, none of the pranksters, or depending on how you look at it, offenders, tried to hide their identities. The online chatter was wild, but there wasn't quite the same tenor of fear as we've seen in some other cases. The cases where nighttime visitors aren't doing anything. And especially the cases where those visitors' faces can't be seen. Masks are funny things and that they're not funny at all. We've all gotten used to a certain kind of mask in the past year or so, but we're talking of a different sort, the kind that completely hides one's features. That can truly inspire fear. Some say that's why clowns are so darn scary. You know that underneath the painted-on expressions, there's another face entirely. But what if there's no expression at all? That's certainly part of what made Slenderman so creepy. And that was before there were terrible real-world consequences for the digital urban legend. A smooth visage, human and yet not. Perhaps it takes us to the uncanny valley. Maybe just into our dreams. But we all know one thing. It just doesn't sit right. Maybe that's why the citizens of Sumter County, South Carolina, got so worked up last month. It started with a Facebook post, because doesn't everything? 
The Sumter County Sheriff's Office shared footage caught on a resident's system on their official social media profile. It's unclear whether there's full video or just a photo still, but we do know this. Per the Greensboro News and Record, the home in question is situated in the Meadowcroft subdivision. The nearest big city is Columbia, and that's about an hour's drive east. There's not a lot of news coming out of this particular nook of the East Midlands. So, when the Sumter Sheriff shared the following photo and statement, it made quite the splash. Sumter County investigators are seeking to identify the individual in this picture who was involved in suspicious activity in the Meadowcroft subdivision on the night of Wednesday, March 24th. The photo shows a figure in a white hooded sweatshirt wearing a mask, or maybe even two masks, layered one on top of the other, also in white. The effect is this. There are deep-set eye holes that give the wearer the effect of having huge eyes, like a nocturnal creature. The mask also has only the suggestion of a nose. There are barely nostrils, really, like slits, and some describe it as like a pig snout. But to others, it looks more like the representations of the aliens commonly referred to as graves. You know, those big-headed fellas with the skinny bodies and the alleged interest in probes. Anyway, the interesting thing about this photo is that the masked individual isn't doing anything. No knocking. No attempts at a break-in. No licking, thankfully. Just staring with those strange eyes up into the camera lens. Letting a house know that, while it slept, someone had arrived. And that someone could be, well, anyone or anything. The good citizens of Sumter County certainly responded, and they weren't happy. We checked Facebook. Most of the nearly 500 commenters wanted to announce that should such a figure arrive on their porches, it would not survive the encounter. We try to keep this a fairly family-friendly show, so we'll just summarize the comments for you. Many people described precisely how many weapons they owned, how many holes those weapons could put into other people and or masked creatures. At least four arguments broke out concerning whether South Carolina law allows you to annihilate trespassers on the grounds of just being creepy. And the police themselves weren't even clear on whether there was a crime, but were seeking this individual to talk. As of the publication of this episode, that masked visitor remains at large. It hadn't visited any other houses, not so far as we know. The frenzy in Sumter was intense, though our money is on a bored teenager in double masks who'd run out of pandemic entertainment and decided to see how long it would take to end up on next door. But that's the thing. The fury in those posts, the declarations of immediate violence, there was an undertone of fear that feels familiar because something as simple as a mask reminds us of all the things in this world we don't truly understand. And in the dark, it's all amplified. 
Have you ever wondered what it feels like to be attacked by an alligator? Or what goes through one's mind as they're stranded in a snowstorm? What Was That Like is the podcast for you. Real people come on every episode to explain the unbelievable situations they've been through. Guests share how they really felt during their most surreal experiences. They tell us what they did the morning before an earthquake, how it feels to when the price is right, and all sorts of details that you'd never learn anywhere else. If you're interested in hearing disturbing and inspiring firsthand stories, What Was That Like is the podcast you've been looking for. Every story is thoroughly researched and fact-checked, so you know that even the most unrealistic are someone's reality. Listen to What Was That Like wherever you get your podcasts. You could argue that it's all this visibility that's making us so fearful. That if we couldn't see who was lurking, it might not be so bad. After all, we wouldn't be any the wiser. And maybe that's true. But when those visitors begin to leave signs or make themselves known, we think it's fair to say that folks of years past would have been mighty glad to wake up and have proof at their fingertips that it was only teenagers scuttling across their porches. For instance, picture the mid-1980s. Now, security cameras certainly existed back then, but most American families couldn't afford them. And the smartphones and smart doorbells we have now? Those were the wild imaginings of sci-fi movies and Back to the Future 2. The best someone might do in a pinch would be a camcorder, but that kind of equipment was pricey too. According to the New York Times, you'd still be looking at $1,000, give or take. Now, another option would be trail cams, those motion-triggered cameras or video recorders that are popular with hunters, but the kind you're probably imagining right now, easily available to the public, that allow you to watch shiny-eyed raccoons absolutely annihilate your trash? According to Outdoor Wilds, it would be the late 1980s before most people could really get their hands on that version of the technology. Why all this talk of night vision? Well, back in 1986, in Tennessee, there was a rural stretch of country called Mason Hall that would have been very glad of some high-tech monitoring systems. Because, for months, residents were terrorized by nighttime visitors. Ones they could hear, but not see. Their story unfolded in the pages of the Jackson Sun newspaper over two articles written by a journalist named Jay Meisel. And one has to assume that, as a reporter covering some of the more far-flung western Tennessee counties, this particular saga was one of his more entertaining assignments. The first article came in March when the Sun announced that a local neighborhood had been terrorized by mysterious nighttime assailants for nearly a year. Though, this was the first mention we could find in any newspaper. According to the Sun, there had been unseen door knockers, and they had been busy. Considering Mason Hall, with a population near 1,000, wouldn't have produced a lot of headlines, it seems odd that this was the first time a paper had covered the knocking. The local sheriff, who had the incredible name of Robert Long John Etheridge, was certainly aware. He'd been on the case for some time. 
Here's what was happening in Mason Hall. Per the Jackson Sun, it all started after nightfall, when residents were fast asleep. Some, but not all, of the houses in the Mason Hall neighborhood would be visited. In total, six or seven homes were under mysterious siege. Most of the affected houses sat on the same side of the road, but there were a few that were also being visited on a totally different street. A woman named Mary Ruth Yates was one of those unlucky Mason Hall residents. She told reporters that in the wee hours of the night, unknown people, she was sure it was more than one, came to her home. And those people didn't just politely wrap their knuckles across her door. According to the Jackson Sun, those unseen visitors pounded. They struck the whole house again and again. Mary Ruth told the Sun, that knock on the house is something that goes all over you. You never forget that. When the Yates would look out one door or window to see where the noise was coming from, it would start up from another corner, often on the opposite side of the house. It's awful to lay down at night and not know what's going to happen, Mary Ruth said. And it wasn't just banging. Per the Jackson Sun, Mason Hall residents had to put up with blasts of loud music and flashing lights, as if there was some kind of terrible teenage hijinks, something straight out of a bad movie, going on. But try as they might, the Yates and the other Mason Hall neighbors who'd been singled out they couldn't actually catch anyone creating the stir. Not even when they sat out all night, secretly watching their own homes. We never saw anyone. It's like they know our every move, Mary Ruth Yates told the Jackson Sun in March of 1986. Now, it may be tempting to chalk the invisibility of these visitors up to luck or to planning. After all, you notice that only some of the houses were struck and others were left alone. And what was the point of the visits? Nothing was taken and no threatening notes were left. When the Jackson son asked Sheriff Long John Etheridge, he replied, we imagine laconically, I have no idea as to why. They don't either. And his deputy stakeouts didn't turn up any culprits. The most obvious answer at first, seemed to be simple, small-town teenage entertainment. When your choices are cow-tipping or neighbor-terrorizing, well, there are only so many cows. Or, maybe some of Mason Hall's less popular residents were being pranked by their own neighbors. Maybe they all just weren't well-trained enough to catch carousers. Perhaps even some of their own children, who'd set out to cause a little trouble. Ultimately, though weird, this story would not be much of a mystery, except for one strange thing. If teenagers were to blame, they were having the world's longest adolescence. Because it turned out the events had been going on for much longer than a year. As the Jackson Sons reporter interviewed more neighbors, a very odd picture began to come into focus. And as the details accumulated, the nighttime visits to Mason Hall seemed more bizarre than ever. Indeed, things took a turn when the paper spoke to one neighbor who refused to be named. This anonymous woman seemed to be the very first victim of the knockers. In fact, 
She was the one who'd been suffering the nighttime visits on and off for at least six years. And the more reporter Jason Meisel spoke to each neighbor, the more the harassment seemed, well, elaborate. Of course, they all got the banging and the knocking. The first victim, in fact, even thought she knew how the visitors were making all that racket, with garden hoses that they smacked against the siding. She said that her pastor, who was apparently in phenomenal shape, had been over one night when the noise had started up. He'd dashed out the front door and run so fast that he caught sight of two figures, two men, he thought, and possibly a hose. According to the Jackson Sun, another family found large wooden blocks outside their home, which they figured had been used to make the echoing noises. And still, no one had experienced any real property damage, just little pranks here and there, moving small bits of property or disturbing landscaping. The reporter for the Jackson Sun must have floated the last possible reason for the harassment, that someone wanted the neighbors to move, but they told him that no one had shown any interest in their land. One neighbor told him, All I know is, it must be a sick individual. There was a follow-up story in August of 1986. Jason Meisel reported that things had not improved for the residents of Mason Hall. In fact, Sheriff Long John Etheridge had arranged, quote, two dozen stakeouts, but hadn't managed to catch anyone. And the residents, some of whom had been suffering for years, had withstood an increasing barrage of nighttime visits. One neighbor told the son, they knock so loud, I thought they knocked the house off the blocks. The little pranks had amped up too. Per the sun, one family found a glove, quote, buried in their yard, fingers pointing up. Another household discovered an alarm clock loudly ringing just outside. There were piles of yard debris and cigarette butts in odd places. One resident claimed that she'd noticed a pattern to the knocking and the flashing lights. Per the sun, quote, they seemed to come in threes. The visits themselves seemed to come in waves, too, though without a clear pattern. A house might be barraged for a week straight, then left alone for twice as long. Residents then never knew what was coming. It was the perfect way to drive everyone to absolute distraction. All those months later, in August, no one had offered up any reasonable explanation for the harassment. According to the Jackson Sun, no threats had been delivered or offers on homes made or actual violence enacted. But some residents, like Mary Ruth Yates and her husband, they'd begun to think that, well... The call was coming from inside the house. They were convinced that someone from their area and not an outsider was responsible. But they wouldn't name names. They didn't have any proof. And as for Sheriff Long John Etheridge, he didn't seem any further along than he had been that spring when he set out to catch the perps. And as far as the Jackson Sun reports go, they never did follow up. We couldn't find a single update on this case anywhere. What became of Mason Hall and its knockers? 
We know that time would have eventually brought the residents the equipment they needed to see the culprits. But would that have led to peace of mind? Because, as we see so often, with our white-masked visitors and the strangers pacing our porches, staring into our fish-eyed door lenses, a visitor without a purpose, or maybe whose sole purpose is to be the thing in the night, is always unsettling. It might not matter how many devices we create to pursue the suburbanite dream of peace of mind. Someone, it seems, is always going to come a-knocking, or a-lurking, or a-licking. We hope you'll join us next time for another real-life story from the fine print of America's local papers, from the lives of regular people, just like you and me, except for one strange thing. Oh, and strangers. One Strange Thing is an entirely independent production. To support the show and hear more of the entirely true and enticingly peculiar, join us over on Patreon. There, you'll get ad-free releases of our regular episodes, full-length bonus episodes, and plenty of other fun content, all for five bucks a month. We hope you'll check it out. There's a link in the show notes. And now, please stay tuned to hear a promo from our friends over at Scary Story Podcast. We hope you'll give them a spin. Scary Story Podcast is a collection of short, scary stories with surrounding ambience for an eerie listening experience released every week. Scroll around the titles and choose one you like. Then let the darkness begin, all for free, on your podcast player. Stories are also free of strong language, purely written to entertain and unsettle you. These aren't your typical horror stories from around the web, but original tales written and produced independently by me, Edwin, your host, about the creepiness in our everyday lives. Stories that will remind you of your own scary encounters. Give it a listen for free and subscribe on your favorite podcast player by searching for Scary Story Podcast or by going to scarystorypodcast.com right from your phone or computer. I'll see you there.